What's up, ladies and gentlemen? It's Matthew Anthony Hawkins here with another Around Town in Chilliwack podcast. Thanks for joining in and thanks for sticking with us after the long winter break. Kicking off this season two of Around Town in Chilliwack podcast, we've got Clint Hames, former mayor and local politician and all around advocate for better, stronger Chilliwack community. It's important to have a realtor that's willing to go above and beyond in the work that you need in buying and selling your home. I recommend my friend Ron Laser, local realtor, owner of Decades Coffee Club. Ron is a close friend, and I know how hard he works and just how invested he is in making sure that his clients get the home that they want. To learn more about Ron, check out his website at ronlaser.com. And now, Clint Hames. Why don't you tell us, who who are you? Clint who? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Clint Hames is my name, and uh, I've lived in Chilliwack most of my life. We moved here when I was very young. My dad was in the military, so we have a connection to the community through the military. And I stayed on. My family all left the area, but uh, I stayed here and uh, uh, took a real strong interest in a couple of things as a young guy, uh, mostly theater. I've been involved in uh, a number of uh, projects to do with theater. Yeah, And uh, I also, um, right out of high school, was very involved in work supporting people with disabilities, originally people with uh, a mental illness, and then that branched into people with intellectual disabilities as well. And that's been my career for most of my adult life, apart from a little dabbling in local politics, which uh, I really enjoyed. But uh, I'm retired from that now, and uh, just starting to think about retiring from, from work as well. But those things, uh, politics, uh, working with folks with disabilities, and uh, theater, have really, and a little bit of music in there as well, because I'm also involved in some uh, some musical stuff. Yeah, what kind of uh, music are you into? Well, right now, uh, I'm playing in a band that's called Judy Tuesday, and we uh, play uh, 60s music, music from the 60s, a lot of uh, British invasion-style music, but also uh, North American music that was very popular in the 60s. Yeah. Every one of us in the band is that vintage, pretty much, and... Uh, it's uh, music from our uh, growing up, and we really enjoy playing it, and we enjoy playing it for other folks, so we have a lot of fun doing that as well. So where could people uh, listen to you play? Well, the next thing coming up for Judy Tuesday, we're actually the pit orchestra for the Chilliwack Players Guild's uh, British Nights this okay. year. Yeah. We did it a couple of years ago, which is when the band formed, and we're doing it again this year. So that's the uh, first couple of weeks in July at the Cultural Center. Uh, it's uh, our, the Players Guild's uh, uh, traditional British Nights where they have a couple of acts of uh, entertainment um, and then a pub lunch in between and beer is served so it's it's just like being in a british pub and listening to music all night it's wonderful that's awesome yeah so you're also involved obviously aside from music in theater you're involved with theater just, yeah. just theater as well what do you what do you do with that um over the years uh i've done a lot of directing uh directed a lot of plays for the mm-hmm. chilark players guild and the university uh, as well, and have uh, in the olden days, I used to do a little bit of uh, work on stage as an actor. But uh, I find the directing is uh, is a lot more fun. Um, it's an opportunity to be a little more creative, working with a whole bunch of different folks. Right. So I really enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah. And um, also sit on the executive of the of the local theater guild. So we're trying to you know build audiences and continue to bring people to the new cultural center with our productions. Good stuff. So do you have something that uh, coming up that you're going to be directing? Or uh, I do, actually. I got a production in the spring um, called One Man, Two Governors, which okay. was a, a comedy that uh, played on in, uh, in London and in New York and was very highly successful, won a number of awards in both places. 
and featured as its main character, uh, James Corden. I don't know if you know James Corden mm-hmm. is now, I think it's one of the late shows on TV. Yeah. He's the uh, host of that. And, the and, car karaoke he does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And a very funny guy. And he um, he took this play on and, and did such an amazing job. Got the best actor, Tony, in New York. I actually got to see the production in New York. Wow. And after I saw it, I said, you know, that's a show that one day I'd really like to direct. And uh, the... Uh, the community theater rights have become available, so uh, the Guild is uh, going to do it in the spring. Good stuff. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it because it uh, brings together a whole lot of different things that I'm really interested in, including music from the 60s. And uh, it's a play that's set in the 1960s. Uh, and it's uh, it's a take on the old uh, Commedia dell'arte piece, which was called Servant of Two Masters, which many people remember that title. And this is a modernization of that uh, of that uh, farce okay. called One Man, Two Governors. So yeah. essentially, two people have hired one guy, and he tries to keep them apart and tries to keep everything sorted out in the in the show. And it's a great great piece. That sounds good. So aside from uh, the arts, um, what are you involved with 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 work right now? You said you're getting close to well, thinking of retiring. Uh, pretty, pretty, <laughs> yeah, pretty close right now. Well, for for the last uh, 25 years, I've owned a company that's called Pacific Developmental Pathways, and it's short uh, pathways for short. And we've provided services and supports to people with intellectual disabilities throughout the Lower Mainland. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the real cool projects that we've been involved in in the last several years is. Uh, is uh, some uh, aid work we've been doing in Romania. Romania, most people will know, is a country that uh, came through the communist era very poorly when people began to go into the country after the Ceausescu regime failed. They discovered uh, huge, huge institutions containing a lot of children and certainly a lot of children with disabilities. There were just literally thousands and thousands of people who were institutionalized. And they're still struggling with how to develop services in that country to support orphans and especially to support orphans and kids and people with disabilities. So my company took on as a project working uh, with an aid agency in Romania. And for the last number of years, we've been doing exchanges of staff, uh, exchanges of people with disabilities. We've taken uh, some of the people in, uh, in our programming uh, that have uh, really made lives for themselves and taken mm-hmm. them to Romania to show people in Romania what's possible for people wow. with disabilities. And it's been, uh, it's been really, really uh, an outstanding uh, activity, and, and we've learned a ton from it. It was really life-changing going over there and getting a chance, as I did. Uh, because of my background in local government, uh, I had a chance to meet with mayors and uh, institutional operators and people like that to talk about governance and to talk about how the community is really the best place for folks and how we can work together to make some of that kind of thing happen. So I've got a lot of really interesting connections in Romania and we'll continue those. Even uh, post-retirement, it's something I'd like to continue to provide some support to. Yeah. We, we uh, it, in, in many ways, it it's, it's, was very heartbreaking, some of the things we encountered. We got to work inside some of the institutions and uh, it's, a, it's a world that not many people get to see. I'm blessed to be able to have seen it mm-hmm. and uh, to feel like uh, our company is making a difference. Uh, we sponsor uh, programs in the country and uh, we, in fact, even uh, provide resources so that staff can be hired to do the kinds of work that uh, we take for granted in, in Canada. Yeah. So did you uh, jump, out of the, uh, jump into this straight out of uh, politics? 
Uh, no, this was way before politics. So you were involved um, with this before? Yeah. Okay. I, I worked in Chilliwack for an agency uh, for many years, uh, 17 years, in Chilliwack called the Chilliwack Society for Community Living. That's what it's called today. Yeah. Which uh, offers the same kinds of programs. And then uh, in 1993, I started my own company uh, doing uh, similar kinds of work, but more... more um, uh, work that was more focused. We were working with uh, a lot of people that uh, that had very challenging behaviors and uh, had just come out of institutions and were struggling with living in the community. Mm-hmm. And we built a, a, a company out of that. Wow. Uh, we started with a, a small company. I think there were three three uh, staff and myself. And today, I think we're about 65 staff and uh, programs all over the Lower Mainland. So Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. So what drew you into politics then? You, you have this business that started and then... Yeah, that's, well, an interesting question, because I think a, a lot of what drew me into politics originally was um, we had a great community, and, and you know, I'm nothing against the people that were involved in politics in those days, but they had a very focused agenda, which talked about roads and sewers and, and water, and those aren't bad things. Certainly, we, we need effective, uh, effective supports in a community like that, but I thought that there was a lot of stuff missing. I thought that if we invested more in uh, things for people to do in the community, especially young folks, that we could really build a community that was uh, quite amazing. So I spent nine years as a city councillor mm-hmm. working uh, to try to make sure those things stayed uh, on the front burner for yeah. folks and we were able to get a bit of stuff done and then uh, spent nine years as mayor and that's when I, I feel like um, I had a real opportunity to uh, create some things in the community and have them provided that have made a really diff- really big difference to the quality of life of the community, not uh, the least of which are things like the, the, the leisure center, the swimming mm-hmm. pool, the, yeah. uh, the swimming pool, the sham center on the, on the south side, the, um, the ice arena, of course, uh, the new cultural center, Heritage Park out by uh, Lickman Road there where yeah. we have some amazing events. And, uh, and uh, along with that, some of the hard services that were really important, like water to different areas of the community and sewers to different areas of the community. So um, I, I really had a passion, first of all, uh, to upgrade the quality of life. Uh, another passion to make sure that people felt they were involved in those decisions. So I think for a lot of time, people felt separated from politics or politicians. They feel they didn't have a say. And I tried to make sure that everything that we did was done with a lot of community input. And then uh, when the cultural center was, when we finally got that together, because that was the project I had to put first on the list, but yeah. you know, there's a lot of other things that have to get yeah. done before you get to the point where you have that. When the cultural center got done, I thought, you know, I've had a really good run and I've gotten the things on my list done. Right. And uh, it's time for somebody else to, to take over and do what they want to do. Yeah. And uh, I haven't regretted that decision, nor have I, uh, uh, rested much since. Yeah. Um, you know, it sounds like your it. time fills up pretty quickly. Do you miss it at all? There's aspects of it I miss. I, uh, I had an opportunity to meet and work with some really amazing people, and I miss uh, I miss that. I miss the uh, the people that were involved, and I miss being able to connect with people at different levels. But one of the things I uh, I got to do right after I was uh, I retired from being the mayor. Was I got appointed to the board of Canada Lands Company, and Canada Lands is the uh, uh, the federal crown agency that develops uh, surplus federal property, and so um, I've had a chance to be on that board for the last, uh, uh, I guess, eight years, mm-hmm. and um, had an opportunity to 
uh, do what we did in Chilliwack with the old base in Chilliwack uh, across the country and to work on developing uh, communities and projects like that uh, across right. the country. So that's sort of, it's well, it's not political work per se. It does fill that gap a little bit. We're right. able to kind of take the lessons that were learned at Garrison Crossing and in some of the projects we've done in Alberta and uh, take those across the country. We have uh, projects now in Halifax and Winnipeg and Toronto and uh, St. John's, Newfoundland and all across the country. Wow. And we get a chance to, Montreal, get a chance to visit those places and also um, you know, build those communities as well. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, sounds like it. So of all the stuff that you're involved with and have been involved with, I'm really curious, what motivates you on a day-to-day -day basis? Because you're on the go. Yeah. Gosh, what a question. <laughs> Loaded question. <laughs> you know, well, no, I don't, you know, I think... I think, you know, I, I could say I, I've always been driven by wanting to make the community a better place. And I don't know where that comes from. I guess um, we all have a sense of that. I, I think um, I'm driven by uh, looking at other people and seeing what a difference they can make and thinking, boy, I better not hold back. Because if we really want um, our, our families, our community, our country, the world to survive, we all have to be contributing something. And something that makes, I think, my company stand out a little bit is that for many, many years, we would sort of think that vulnerable people, people with disabilities, like we support, that they were sort of passive receivers of the services that are provided. And we came into our work and said, what I believe, and that is that no, everybody has a contribution to make. Everybody has a gift to share. And I've always been driven by that notion that we all have gifts. And if we all chose to share them, the world would be a better place. And so that drives me, that thought drives me. We all have an, op have an obligation, I think, to share our gifts, whether you're a person with a disability whose gift might be the ability to communicate or whose gift might be the ability to kind of show um, that their life can be pretty good to somebody in Romania or someone like you whose gift is communicating and you want the stories to get told so that the community can learn from those stories. We have an obligation and I've always believed that to yeah. share the gifts that we have and to always be making a contribution. Anything else would be just dead boring. <laughs> So why don't we talk a little bit more uh, local? What you sure. you have some interesting Facebook posts uh, th <laughs> now that we're Facebook friends, <laughs> and you had one recently that was uh, it was a very passionate post that uh, Paul Henderson even asked if you could stretch it out a little bit, um, talking about uh, the BC election, the upcoming election, and uh, just you were. Um, basically calling for for more support for the the issues that we're facing as a community. Chilliwack, obviously, we're having a lot of, um, there's a lot of issues that are very prevalent. Uh, people can see them. Um, and I know other communities are dealing with it too, but you being a, a Chilliwack local, your roots are here. Um, it was a very passionate post, um, calling officials to, to step up to the plate and, and help individuals that need the help. Well, I was, I was frustrated and, and continue to be a bit frustrated with politics in general. Um, and I, and there's a bit of a dichotomy here or contradiction in that I think things like Facebook have have created a bad 
uh, situation, whereas um, it is also a great uh, vehicle to communicate something that you're passionate about. First, first off, I was, I'm frustrated by negative campaigning. And mm-hmm. I think um, what it shows me is that if you're willing as a person or a party to say the kinds of things that are being said, what does that say about you? And I don't know why people don't pick that up. If I'm a politician and I want to criticize my uh, competitor uh, with personal attacks or I want to say the kinds of things that are to be said or read the kinds of things that I you know, read on Facebook, the name calling and the, and the rudeness. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm capable of that as a politician, what does it say about me? And why aren't politicians understanding that when you drag down like that, you're saying more about yourself than you are about the other person. And I, I was hoping that the level of discourse would, um, would uh, get more civil in, in politics. And I, I, I think it's faint hope. I don't yeah. know if it'll ever happen. But I wondered why nobody was, um, was looking at it from the perspective that if you're willing to kind of tell half-truths and innuendo about other people, why would anybody believe anything that you said? And, and are, you're just simply, I think, damaging your own credibility when you get involved in doing those things. So that was one frustration. And the other frustration that continues to be a frustration for me is the whole issue of, I think, the most vulnerable people in our community. And that's the people that we see on the streets that are you know, struggling with so many different things, mm-hmm. um, addictions, and uh, in many cases, uh, mental illnesses, and homelessness and there's all kinds of things that people are struggling with and and if you take a little bit of time to say okay well let's unravel this and figure out what's going on why why are we in this situation you learn pretty quickly from people that are very very skilled and and educated in the field of understanding vulnerable populations that to be addicted to something uh, you and I could um, and I'm not advocating that we do, yeah. and kids don't try this at home, but you and I could snort up a bunch of cocaine every day for a month and not be addicted to it. Right. Because there's a physiology, physiology that happens to people who are susceptible to addictions. And addiction susceptibility can happen through brain trauma, or it can happen um, you know, sometimes just basically through DNA, or through uh, a mental illness, which is brain chemistry. And what, mm-hmm. what we're understanding now about addictions is the people who are, who are addicted and are chronically addicted, like we see a number of the people who live on the streets, that that has come from some sort of trauma that they've suffered. And it doesn't have to be a physical trauma. It can be an emotional trauma. Mm-hmm. It can come from having a mental illness and altered brain chemistry. It can come from any number of those things. So what's happening to those folks is not a choice that they've made so much as an outcome of something that they've had no choice about. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many kids that were in residential schools had a choice about whether or not they suffered trauma? Right. Not that many. How many yeah. people with a mental illness and, and a, an organic brain chemistry issue had a choice about that? Not many. So while they may make decisions that many of us make every day, what happens when they make those decisions is it cascades down into into where they may find themselves in terms of on the street or homeless or desperate. Right. And until we start understanding that the addiction is like a disease, or not understanding, because I think a lot of people do, and still we until we start treating it as a 
as a public health disaster as mm-hmm. opposed to a criminal disaster, we're right. not going to get anywhere with it. And right. that's frustrating because the information on that is everywhere. Yeah. And I know uh, that there are lots of folks out there that would say, well, look, you know, we can't tolerate illegal behavior. And I agree with that. I think there's a lot of crime and disorder that comes from homelessness, that comes from addiction, that comes from uh, having people desperate. Right. But that doesn't mean that the only solution is coming at it from a criminal perspective. I think we have to look at every option that's available to us, up to and including things like uh, harm reduction and and uh, you know some people call it a safe injection site. But I think we need we need health centers for folks that are going to not just provide them a place to shoot up, but we're probably looking at opiate replacements so that people can have access to it in a safe way, in a legal way, and a safe way that will allow them the opportunity to kind of adjust and fix the brain chemistry or the trauma so that they don't have to be addicted for the rest of their lives. And it, it makes so much sense to me, and I've done a lot of research and reading on it, and I look at places where uh, some European countries, and mm-hmm. um, Spain, Portugal, other places, are starting to get a handle on this, and they're actually starting to make a huge difference. Right. And I think, you know, why not have Chilliwack as the center for the or the place that actually leads the way with this because we have a huge issue. Yeah, a lot of our issue is because nobody else is dealing with it, and and the minute you even offer a little bit of service, you actually begin to attract people to your community. And we have incredible agencies here that are working their tails off, like Ruth and Naomi's and the Salvation Army, trying to make a difference. Mm-hmm. But they're swamped. You yeah, know, they're 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 they can over- only handle so much. They're overwhelmed, and and you know they're providing food and shelter. And that's really important because it's a baseline need that everybody has. But we have to start augmenting that with other services that mm-hmm. are the kinds of services that some politicians are okay talking about, like treatment and rehab and all of those. But we also have to have those bridge services that are providing uh, perhaps opiate replacement at the very minimum uh, accessible needle exchanges and those kind of things. So we clear up some of those issues. Yeah. I mean, we had a huge, uh, when the methadone program started in uh, in our country probably 20 years ago, um, we had a huge problem uh, with needles lying around. Mm-hmm. And this is when I first was on council and we fought very hard to get a needle exchange program and not a needle exchange program that was sort of mobile and hard to find, but a fixed needle exchange program in the center of where the problem was. Right. And the issue of, of needles lying around was almost gone. Yeah, and then it's now we've sort of pulled back to a, a kind of mobile exchange, and no real, in in my my impression, and I'm I'm willing to be proved wrong, no real focused effort to uh, to kind of deal with this issue. Right, and I understand, uh, you know, there are people um, that say, well, look, this isn't a city problem; this is a provincial problem. These are provincial issues, and the province needs to come to the table. Well, yeah. There's a lot of stuff that we do that maybe it's the province that should come to the table, but this is my community. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm happy to uh, roll up my sleeves and pitch in. And I think the community would be delighted if there were more leadership on this issue. Right. Um, and and uh, as I say, I'm not involved in politics anymore, so I don't know everything that's going on. But right. I have to tell you, I really think we could be doing more. And we, we have to expand our thinking. Well, what you say, it would take all three levels, local provincial and national for federal to um to step up and and help like yeah it well there's there's two things there's 
there's money yeah. because it costs money because mm -hmm. you need to have the resources to provide supports. But there's also the leadership that's required to say, okay, uh, I'm going to take this on. And whether that's uh, a health department or whether that's local government or whether that's the Ministry of Social Service or somebody has to step and say, step up and say, I'm in charge of this and here's what we're going to do. Yeah. And from that point in time, when you've got resources and you've got somebody taking the leadership, then it's then the problem is resolvable because then you can you can take the ideas from everywhere that are working and there's tons of ideas oh, yeah. and there's tons of programs and say okay we're going to do something about this yeah. when you think about it what did I don't know what they said 200 people at the last homeless count yeah so we have, and growing yeah, yeah we have to say 200 people well that's only 200 people yeah how easy would it be to support those 200 people yeah. When you think about it, how small a number that is. Yeah. It, 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 I don't think the problem's overwhelming. I think, but the amount of time and effort that those 200 people take from police resources, from, you know, all kinds of other resources is, mm -hmm. is, is disproportionate to the actual number of people. I know in Las Vegas there was a, a study and there was a homeless fellow in Las Vegas and he had, eaten up a ton of resources and by the time they finished somebody did a study and asked and added up all the resources that were spent in one year on this fellow whether that was police resources jail resources court time social worker time all of that yeah health they, services yeah all that stuff emergency services yeah. absolutely they could have put him up in a suite in one of the hotels in las vegas for a year wow on the money that was spent on him just keeping him alive and when you start looking at the, those resources and and i think finding a way to use them better uh, we will uh, we'll begin to make headway and, and i have hope i always have great hope that these things will happen i just think that we have to make sure that we're not and this is another one of my posts <laughs> i think we have to make sure that we're not blaming the people who are challenged by homelessness addiction mental illness that we're not blaming them for their uh, position for where they are that yeah. we're saying look we all have a role and had a role in creating your challenges we all have a role in fixing them yeah. and until we get to a point where we stop blaming people uh, until we begin to value every human being and every human life the same uh, i don't think we'll move I don't think we'll move very far. And it's really important that we begin, as I said in the beginning, we begin to see this as a public health crisis. Now, mm -hmm. that's not to say there isn't crime and disorder that goes with um, a, a vulnerable person and the lifestyle. And, and there are ways. Uh, I did a lot of um, uh, investigation when I took a trip to the UK uh, with the health services and with the police services in the UK to look at how they were dealing with some crime and disorder as a result of um, the homelessness addictions, all of those sorts of things. And there's some marvelous programs there mm -hmm. that join together the court system, join together the social service and health and community systems to begin to support people and to begin to make a difference. And some of the levels of crime in very, very impacted communities, the drops in crime levels were absolutely dramatic after they began to take a very focused approach and join together and stop seeing it as a crime issue over on one side and a you know, and an addictions and whatever issue over here. 
when those groups began to come together and sort out how they were going to approach it, began to make a real difference. I think we could do that here. So do you feel there's someone kind of hiding in the wings waiting to step up to this challenge? Or is there someone in particular that you're, you're without naming names or like um, what, you know, what needs to happen? You know, I think one of the things that gives me hope uh, in this file, if you can call it that, is yeah. uh, Ken Popov, who's city councillor. Mm -hmm. Ken and I have had many discussions about this particular issue, and I know he sort of heads up some of the social issues from a city perspective. And he really gets it, and he really understands uh, what needs to happen. I think the challenge is convincing everybody he needs to convince that uh, this is the right approach and we need to move forward. And I think, you know, that's a, it's a slow process. I know how politics works, and I know yeah. that, you know, there, there are more issues out there than, than homelessness. And so people have to get their minds around uh, how to make this work. So I have some hope that somebody like Ken Popov and Jason Lum, you know, both Ken and Jason are really uh, involved and plugged into this issue. And I, I, I think with their leadership, if they can focus on it, it will, they'll do, uh, they'll do things, but, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. So we kind of talked a little bit about the, the bad and the ugly there of what's going on in town. Um, with there, there's hope. There's a, there is hope. We can hold on to that and know that we do have some great leaders involved. Um, but what about the good? What, what, what do you see is, um, what are some highlights for you for people wanting to visit Chilliwack? What would you tell them about? Well, you know, I think what's really, uh, if you want to measure is the community, how, how good is the community? Mm -hmm. You measure it by how many people want to come here. Yeah. And, you know, the Chilliwack is growing very, very quickly. I think it's the fastest growth we've experienced in, in certainly in the almost 20 years I was involved in local government. We had a year where the, the growth was around 6% and that just um, was overwhelming in a lot of ways. I think we're getting close to that year over year in our growth. And that indicates that we're doing a lot of things well, mm -hmm. that we have a lot of reasons why people want to live here. It's a very livable community. It's very compact. Uh, we don't have as many commuters. Last I read, um, we don't have uh, more than about 15% of people here that actually leave the community to go to work. And most of those don't go any farther than Abbotsford. Right. And that ability to keep people here is what makes this a really livable community. It means that, you know, people who work all day are getting home in time to have dinner and be with their families and then do things in the evenings. Yeah. And that's really important for a community. We have a cultural center that's thriving and Fantastic. a lot of that has to do with the fact that people are home in time to actually go see stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, and we have a, a junior hockey team that has been wildly successful at the junior A level. And and those are the kinds of things that you know bring families together and they go out and they see those kind of things. We have great facilities in this community, and I'll take credit for some of that. Yeah, and, I was going to say, do you but, feel proud looking at like... Well, I feel like... Um, it, it's not a question of pride. It's a question of uh, I'm 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 happy that I was right <laughs> that <laughs> that making those investments has paid off and makes the community a better place. I remember 20 years ago we had uh, maybe 25 years ago we had a kind of a semi-organized kids soccer league in Chilliwack, and now with the facilities we've built, we've got major uh, youth soccer movement in Chilliwack that includes hiring coaches that are you know at a very high level, and we've got kids graduating out of 
uh, I think Jordan Heidema is a, a girl who's just been named to Canada's national mm-hmm. team. You know, we have those kinds of things now happening in the community where uh, it starts with uh, giving the opportunity through facilities and then bringing people together and moving forward. So there's so many things like that. I think there might be 20 million dance companies in Chilliwack. There yeah. are there are five or six thriving theater groups in Chilliwack. We just finished a rickrack festival, which was which brought groups from all over the province. And they looked at our at our facilities and they looked at what's going on and the people and were going, boy, I sure wish we had this. <laughs> and that kind of thing makes me kind of think, yeah, we. We did a lot of, we made a lot of good decisions back then to do that. And in terms of planning the community, we've made a lot of really positive decisions because we have areas that are, that are densifying and growing and that provides a whole new way of life. A Vetter Crossing area where I live, there's, you know, I think there's 1800 new units of housing yeah. from Garrison Crossing and that's created a whole uh, village center Mm-hmm. in in uh, in better which is wonderful i think we need to really um use that as the way forward for our downtown we really have to continue to that commitment of building up density in the downtown and in in uh, making sure that we get lots of people there because that will drive business and that will drive services um, if there was you know it's, a, it's another thing I'm, I'm i'm disappointed it's taking so long for the downtown to to react to the growth, but I think with the kind of growth we're seeing and uh, some more focus on the part of local governments, I think it'll get there. It's it's way longer than anybody wants, but I, I do believe I have a lot of hope about that. Yeah, the potential's there for sure. Absolutely, and and um, we have uh, we have just kind of a sprawling downtown, and I think we need to keep bringing it back into something that's a little more. Um, dense a little more focused yeah and it'll it'll be fine and you know i just uh, every day i'm i i think you know being almost retired and and house rich and and cash poor yeah uh, but you know you could live anywhere you could live anywhere in the world really yeah and i think boy i you know i don't have anything that you know ties me here but this is where i would choose to live and yeah. as long as i keep thinking that i think boy yeah we can complain about a lot of things but we really have a pretty nice place here to live. So downtown, is there a favorite store you have, downtown Chilliwack? You know, um, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who eat to live, and there are people who live to eat. Yeah. And I'm kind of a live to eat guy. <laughs> so when I think about downtown, I think about the, the restaurants that are down there, and there's so many good ones. Is it one that you can think of? Yeah. I we like, won't call it your favorite. We'll call it one that you really like. You know, if it if it was right now and you said, hey, we let's should go. go have something to eat, yeah. I would say let's go to Chili's. Yeah. Matt, I, I, love the, uh, I love the people that are there and mm-hmm. I love the food. And What's uh, your favorite on the lunch menu? Number five. Number five? Number five. Five peppers. Five and uh, now the secret is, the secret with that item is you order it with sticky rice. Okay. Don't order it with the regular rice. Ask actually ask for the old mare's special. <laughs> They'll bring it that way. <laughs> they little, know it. <laughs> little extra creamy and and uh, and the sticky rice, which uh, has fewer carbs because the carbs they soak the rice overnight, so oh, okay. it actually keeps the carbs out of it. So wow, 
good good so, lesson there yeah. and uh you know and there's so many others i mean there's there's uh the italian place uh rusticas and and bravo and the little vietnamese place is a gem we mm-hmm. love going there for uh before hockey games yeah because in and out very quickly and you get a really good feed of wonderful warm up so, real yeah. good too yeah and uh, mill street is starting to really develop some really funky places and mm-hmm. There's a new uh, sign store right along there now, yeah. right at the back of where uh, Graham's Gifts was. So. Yeah, and it, you know, I mean, there's so much good about down there that uh, I think it will overcome the challenges that are are happening there. I mean, think about, you know, people say, well, we need more business. We have um, Save on Foods in a plaza there that is full and busy all the time. That's like a block away from the very center of downtown. So mm-hmm. people are coming downtown. It's, yeah. it's not that there aren't people there and people are driving through downtown just got to get them off the road and and uh, out of their cars yeah and you know people like the bia are doing a great job of putting events on that are bringing people down there the yeah. party, party in the party park. in the park yeah. and the car show and things like that these are amazing events there are other communities i know i have friends all over the valley and and that party in the park especially and you look at that event and and there's nothing like that anywhere yeah, and it's amazing, and I've played at it. I've been in a band standing on that stage, and you know what it's like to play for five thousand people. It's pretty amazing. I and bet to get that and outside too, and outside, yeah. and to get that opportunity. You know, we we have many treasures in our community, and Party in the Park is a treasure. But uh, I'd have to shout out to old Trevor McDonald because he really creates that. You know, and Trevor yeah. is Trevor's, excellent host for that. He's as big a community guy as you'll find. I'm hoping to get him on this podcast. Well, I'm going to send him a message and say, do it, Trevor. <laughs> Good for you. I'll let him talk about VW vans for a little while. <laughs> That'll do it. Or old cameras. Yeah? He has an old camera collection. I think he's got 70 or 80 wow. old cameras that he just collects. I asked him why. He says, I have no idea, but I just think they're funky. So That's great. Yeah. In, in, what about down on the garrison side? What's, what's one of your favorite uh, stop-ins down there? Oh man! Well, you know, since I'm, you live to eat, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna shout. I'll shout out a couple of things out that way. Um, I just uh, the, the bistro in Garrison uh, Village there is a great place to eat, and uh, Kim's Wine Store, Sardis Park Wines, is uh, what a great little place to go and enjoy BC wines. And they have a tasting. Uh, I think once a month they have a library tasting where you get. Uh, to sit around a table and listen to the people from the wineries talk about their wines and taste their wines and that's really fun and now we got the mad butcher out there which is going to town butcher the town butcher sorry town butcher and uh so that's that's really good um and then you know the this goes into sardis but we got a great new restaurant in sardis frankie's italian kitchen i mean Mm -hmm. he was over at prospera there for a while and now he's there that's great and all of this all of the great places by the mall i mean the, the hardest decision you get to make in this town is at lunchtime somebody says hey let's go for lunch is where do you go there's yeah. so many great places we're blessed have I mean, you gone to the new italian place on vetter road not right near yet Promontory? no i haven't and i that's on my list and i'm gonna do that it's but, supposed uh, to be it's supposed to be really good yeah and big portions so yeah I like know. a real italian kitchen yeah well <laughs> italy is one of our favorite places and we've gone uh, a number of times to italy and it's one of the things I always find interesting is that in Canada, when you go to any town, you find a range of restaurants. Like you can find in Chilliwack, we have every ethnicity of restaurant you can think of mm-hmm. in this town. When you go to Italy and you travel, you come to a town, 
around Chilliwack size. It's Italian or Italian or Italian or Italian. Yeah. Like it's all about the food in Italy, the Italian food. If you go to Rome or the bigger cities, Milan and places like that, you can find ethnic restaurants and ethnic areas. But boy, there's a lot of Italian food in Italy. Yeah. That's a great place to go. But in Chilliwack, we're just so blessed. We've got so many places we could go. So uh, wrapping, wrapping up here, um, moving forward, what... Uh, What's next for you? What's the next big step for Clint Hames and Chilliwack? You said you're retiring soon. Well, yeah, I, I think the next big step is learning to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> and uh, no, um, I, I, I still have a passion for making the community a better place. So I'll just keep working at that. I'm involved in a, in a very quiet little society right now called uh, Chilliwack Housing for the Homeless. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a, a very small society that simply raises money and buys units and then um, works with agencies like uh, Supportive Housing Society and others to make those available um, to uh, people who require them. And we work a lot with the, with the contact center. We're looking at uh, partnerships with other agencies like the Cyrus Center and others to uh, to try to quietly make a difference in that way. And uh, I look forward to uh, to doing that more, um, providing that kind of support. I'd love to be involved um, and now that I have a little bit more time. I think my term on Canada Lands Board ends in December, so I'm starting to, uh, to think about having a little more time as a result of that. Mm -hmm. I'd really like to, uh, to look at ways to get more involved in uh, the issue of supporting people who are vulnerable in our community. Right. And so, you know, I'll mull that over and see what that looks like. And, you know, maybe nobody wants me. <laughs> As I say, sometimes... Re retirement sounds pretty busy for you. <laughs> yeah, and retirement is just not getting paid anymore. That's all retirement <laughs> is. It doesn't change, uh, at least for me, it doesn't change anything other than um, now you get to do more of what you want to do rather than what somebody's paying you to do. Right. And uh, I couldn't be happier to be uh, as busy as I am. That's There's great. lots of folks who kind of slide into retirement and twiddle their thumbs and they're not sure what to do next. Yeah. Uh, that has not been a problem for me. It sounds like it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you uh, coming on the show and spending some time with me. And It was great. I really appreciate you asking. Thanks. Well, all the best. Thank you so much.